Nothing discussed with Anna Neubauer in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition, or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to From Anxiety to Clarity. We've been off for a couple of weeks, but we are back as we are now in December watching cases escalate. And the fact that Oahu is still in tier two is not making a lot of people happy as we've come through the Thanksgiving holiday with some people not adhering to the idea that we should have very small gatherings. The expectation is that we may see cases increase as we move into the coming weeks. And then heaven knows what we may see after the Christmas and New Year's holidays. We're hoping for the best. And as we do that, we're also taking note today of what has been happening with our pets. And this is a bit of a departure conversation for us, but as we all know, we've been home a lot, many of us, and that also means extended time with pets. And for some people, it has meant acquiring new pets. We're gonna talk about this and also what it might mean once we all start to move into different phases of our lives and are around our pets a whole lot less. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich. Thank you for joining me today. And my guest is the CEO and president of the Hawaiian Humane Society, Anna Neubauer. Aloha, Anna, and thanks for joining me this morning. Aloha, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. You've been now the head of the Hawaiian Humane Society for a little over the past year. What a year it has been to not just get your feet wet, but to find your... <laughs> dunked in what it means to deal with yes. so many and also to find so many pets homes over the last little while. Uh, what has this been like for you as you've come into this position and then had to transition to how you needed to make ch some changes as we all were dealing with the pandemic? Absolutely. So, you know, initially when I came in, um, I was doing a lot of learning, understanding, um, determining where we needed to go next. Um, and, you know, a couple of months in, we our pandemic started. And so we had to shift gears really quickly as an organization and determine what we needed to do for our teams, for our volunteers, for the public, for our animals. Um, and, and that was a challenging time, just like for everyone, because it was everything was so new. Um, we, you know, there is sort of conflicting information coming out um, from many sources at the time. And so, you know, leaning on best practices, leaning on um, animal welfare experts across the country, um, infectious disease experts across the country, we put together a plan um, that to keep our animals safe, but also to keep our people safe. And, and that's been really successful. A lot of the things that we implemented early on um, were changes that we wanted to make anyway for the organization. And so we've been able to sort of hyperspeed a little bit um, with some of our changes uh, due to COVID. So there's a little bit of, of light um, and, and all of the challenge that we've had this year. What were some of those changes that you'd planned to make that just moved into hyperspace because of the pandemic? Yeah, so one in particular was uh, managing our business differently um, to provide better customer service um, and better service for the animals and, and people in our care. So one thing that we implemented pretty quickly was an appointment-based service, um, and that way people have scheduled time um, for, you know, for COVID. It allows us to manage the numbers of people on our campus, know when, who to expect and when, 
Um, but also this is a better customer service component as well. And so it provides people schedule time where they know they're gonna meet with somebody and either have a great discussion about adoption or have a discussion about next steps for their animal. If for some reason they can't keep them or if there is a resource we can provide to them, we can get them those, those tools that they need to be able to keep their pet. And how have people reacted to that? Um, at, at first, it was a little tough because people were used to just coming on campus, um, you know, and again, there's conflicting messaging, you know, so people weren't sure, should I stay home, should I not stay home, things like that. So um, we just kind of had to work with people, educate them when they came, you know, not everybody's on, on the internet, not everybody was aware of the changes that we made. And so we just had conversations when people came to campus, but it's been since that sort of initial bumps um, in the road that we all experienced, it's been really smooth um, and people, I seem to really appreciate that one-on-one -on -one time that they get with, with interacting with our staff members and our volunteers. For a lot of people who have been home for such a long time, and who are maintaining that close to home attitude, I would imagine that being able to have an appointment, go out, actually see people and be with animals has been very good for their mental health, both sides. Yeah, I think so. People are excited to come again. We're trying to limit the numbers uh, you know, at our facility just so we don't end up with large crowds, but um, people are excited to come on campus, excited to, to meet animals and interact with the people there. And you know, we've seen families and, and um, couples and pe just people, individuals looking for a new family member, which has been lovely. Has the amount of new families and people looking to adopt increased significantly? I wouldn't say increased significantly. We had a large, um, large pouring of support from our community early on when we asked for uh, emergency fosters because we, we weren't sure what to expect. We weren't sure if there was gonna be a sudden influx of animals coming from our community when, when the pandemic started. And so we wanted to be able to get animals out into homes and not on campus. And so we had a large number of people stepping up at that time and saying, hey, I'm happy to foster, you know, I'd be happy to take this dog. And many, many people adopted those foster animals um, because once you have them in your home, it's hard to give them back. So they were really excited to be able to do that. And that's, that's the ideal situation for all animals, right? Getting in them into a home, out of the shelter. Um, people were really excited to be a part of that process. And we had over 300 animals um, find foster homes really quickly and then find permanent homes uh, fairly quickly after that as well. So early on, we did see an increase in adoptions. And then with the different changes and restrictions and things, we, we've seen a little bit of a decrease in adoptions just because people weren't out and about as much. Um, and, and what people wanna do to keep themselves safe may look a little different for each individual in each household. So we've seen a little bit of a decrease, but overall, we've, we've been pretty steady with our adoptions and our offsite adoption partners have actually increased the numbers of adoptions um, that we had been doing pre in previous years. So that's been really successful. In general, we know that having a pet for particularly an older person can mm -hmm. mean greater chances of longevity for that person. Also the ability to have a child learn how to care for something, a little pet of any type yeah. like a dog or a cat is also really beneficial, but especially within the context of the pandemic when people have been home for so much, I think it's, it's not a big surprise that many of those fosters turned into full-time companions yep. and because people were, were lonely and mm -hmm. having to be with or to care for or to just snuggle with, particularly for yeah. you know, who are singles and living alone, uh, that would be obviously pretty, pretty expected. But I'm Absolutely. also that we have 
an economy that obviously is not not doing well. We've had yeah. some starts. Now we have an increase in cases again. We don't know what we'll see over mm -hmm. the next couple of weeks or month or so, but you know, projections are not looking yeah. particularly good. Are, are you worried at all that some of these lovely animals who have found homes of people will not be able to be kept by those people because they can't take care of them and it costs a great deal to take care of an animal properly. Yeah, so we are worried about that. And, and at the national level, when we're having conversations about what's going on um, in animal welfare and, and animal sheltering across the country, um, the eviction moratorium, as, as everyone's aware, ends this month. Um, and so there's some significant concern that once that happens, people are not going to have any additional support or options, and that may mean an influx of animals coming into shelters. Um, additionally, with the progression of the economic downturn, if people aren't able to continue to, you know, find funding in some fashion, you know, our, our, we can support to a point, but we, you know, we don't have resources to support housing. You know, we, we have resources to support, you know, do you need food for your animal? Do you need some vaccines for your animal? Lee prevention, heartworm prevention, we can get them spayed and neutered for you. We can help connect you with maybe some of those external resources on the human side because we are partnering with some of those agencies. Uh, but we can't, you know, we don't have programs to help support funding for homes. Um, and that's, I think that's what people are going to need. And, that, and that's what we're hearing kind of across the landscape in our country is that, you know, we're really worried about what's going to happen once this eviction moratorium goes away. If it doesn't get extended and there's not additional support for people to be able to stay where they're at, can, will they be able to keep their animals and their, their, their whole family intact during that process? So what's happening locally with this, Anna? Because obviously people you know, me need to know if there's going to be an alternative or just at least to take some of the, the worry away that their beloved animal, if they can't care for that animal, may be able to find another home and, and be able yeah. to reach. Absolutely. So, you know, we, we are here for people and their animals and we, you know, an animal is much better off staying in a home than in a shelter and we want to be able to support that however we can if there a time comes where people they just they don't they don't have any other alternative and they, they feel that rehoming their animal is the best alternative if we can help them rehome the animal outside of the shelter we would love to do that you know helping them connect with family and friends um, or, or do maybe some adoption screening on their own if they wanted to, to list the animal in a different way if the animal does need to come to the shelter though we'll, we'll help support that process and take care of them um, if they need, if they need some additional medical treatment, we'll provide that while they're with us and then we'll find them new homes. But again, the animal is much better off in the home that they've been with, um, for however long that is, um, cause that's, that's their family. And so we want to try to find, find support and resources to keep those animals and families together. I see some of your family members coming to visit often. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have, I have a bulldog that's not happy with me to being shut out, but he'll, he likes to sass at me, so. <laughs> Pretty cute. Well, I've got, I've got you over here sleeping and I'm, I'm grateful yeah. that you're sleeping so you can talk to each other, but I wasn't gonna put them any place either, especially in this conversation. <laughs> right. Are you able to work with other organizations within Hawaii who are rescuing animals and who are able to help in whatever way they can to either find homes or to rehome some of these animals? Are you networking together and working together? Yeah. Much we are. 
Yeah, no, that's great. And, and many of the rescue organizations are foster-based exclusively, which is a really good scenario for the animal. Again, keeping them out of the shelter, keeping them in a home environment is fantastic. So we do work closely with a couple of different organizations um, and they've, they've seen an influx of animals coming in as well. They um, work with a variety of different populations from the general public needing to rehome animals, but also homeless um, providers and um, people that are experiencing houselessness or homelessness right now. Um, so they've been pretty full recently, um, but we do work with them and transfer animals to them um, and try to support each other as best we can during this process because we're all, we're all here for the same thing. We all want the same, same good outcomes for people and animals. A lot of people are really concerned though that if we can't find enough homes that animals become euthanized. Is there a certain point at which there is no other alternative? I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but seeing an animal starve is also pretty horrible. Right, and we, we don't want any animal to suffer for sure, um, but we, we don't make decisions based on space. So we're gonna, we are gonna work really hard um, to keep animals out of the shelter, to work with partners in the community and also work with mainland partners. So we were part of, I don't know if you or your audience saw the, the greater good and the um, wings of rescue flight. Mm -hmm. So we were part of, part of that transport, um, which is a major undertaking. We sent uh, just over a hundred of our animals on that flight. Um, and so again, networking as, as large as we need to, to find good outcomes for everybody, even if that means they have to fly across the ocean um, to find new homes, we're, we're committed to doing that. And so we will, we will be reaching out and working with as many partners as we need to, to, to find good outcomes for everybody. Will there be another such operation anytime soon? There's nothing scheduled, but we, we had been talking about this. This was really successful and incredibly beneficial to everyone. And we really want to determine how we can continue to work together. You know, I would love to see it on a quarterly basis. I don't know if that's possible because it, it, there's a large cost to doing an endeavor like that, um, a significant amount of money to make that happen. Um, but if, even if we can do it just a couple of times a year, that's really helpful. Um, and so we're, we're gonna continue to, to have those conversations and, and hopefully we'll have some, some additional opportunities in the coming months for that. But this is all exporting animals from Hawaii to the mainland, not in, in reverse, I would imagine, because we are much smaller right. for animals Correct. here on the mainland in all, in all kinds of or maybe they just don't don't have the volume of animals that we might be able to provide or, or partially provide. Yeah, exactly. And there, there are some communities across the country that um, have a surplus of animals like we do and other communities that don't. And so try, you know, moving animals from where they're surplus to to sort of you know homes waiting for animals that that's an ideal situation and so we try to work with those organizations that are really looking for those animals because they have people waiting to adopt an animal and, and want to adopt animals from shelters and not buy them from breeders which is really great that speaks to the, the need or the mental health need to be able to have that companion in a home yes. and for us looking at this through this mental health lens mm -hmm. are you that, that people are speaking to you about this, about how this is affecting the, you know, the general feeling within a home or the mental health outlook of the people who are adopting? Do they actually come to you and talk to you about that level? They do, and not everyone does, right? But we, but we do have some people that are, that are open about that and, and share that, you know, we've, we've had some families that have come to our pet food banks and, and received services that way and said, I, you know, I'm, I want to feed my animal before I feed myself. My animal means so much to me that I am going to make sure I do everything I can to take care of them, even 
to the point of allowing myself to suffer. And that speaks volumes to that human animal bond that they are so critical to our mental health, our well-being, our physical health, right? And so being able to provide services and, and help support that human animal bond is, is really what it's all about. And so we're really excited to be able to have programs that can do that. Anna, are there any studies that you know of that are either underway or that may be coming down the pike that may show this connection, particularly within the context of the pandemic and what kind of impact mm. we have had? I mean, it seems like we're in this seminal time, um, obviously, that none yeah. of us have ever has ever experienced before. And to be able to better document some of this, because now we have a huge population of people who are adopting and, and who might be predisposed to giving some feedback about what this has meant in a time. Yeah. That is a really great question. And I don't know of any study that's ongoing off the top of my head, but I'm happy to do a little research and find out. I, I imagine there are. I think that would be very good for our general audience to know about. Absolutely. Perhaps in which to take part if something is coming down the pike and we might be able to put some better data in there because you know mm -hmm. animals take it a while I think for people to really see that an animal is a part of a family and that there's yeah. a real people have always known that at, at right. certain level at this incredibly great level it seems like that along with general uh, attention to mental health has increased significantly in the last eight months which has been yes. in silver lining for a very terrible time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to look at that. I think you're, you're absolutely right. This is important work to be doing and, and something that has been really brought to light and, and is being discussed very openly and broadly across many different fields um, in our communities. And, and so I, I, I think if there's not a study done, I'm, I'm sure that there'd be several people interested in doing something like that. So I'd be happy to look might be a great partnership for the Hawaiian Humane Society and UH or yeah. another university to be able to put some really good data out there and maybe run this not just within Hawaii, but driven by Hawaii, possibly with a partner on the mainland as well. But that would be a great thing. Would be good yeah. for Hawaii. Absolutely, that's a great idea, yeah. As you look into the next couple of months and, and watching uh, now, you know, post, drop to the mainland all of these animals have you been filling up again is there um, you know some concern that more animals will be coming in in the next little while i know we've been talking about that uh in part you know, just now but how how can how far out are you projecting so what you know we're looking at you know the next couple of weeks um we we are doing okay we you know animals come in in waves and by scheduling appointment base and not sort of having our doors fully open, we're able to manage um, the numbers of animals coming in, which has been really beneficial during this time frame, especially having to sort of balance the needs of if, you know, are we going to have anybody on staff that may contract COVID and may need to be isolated? And then we have to quarantine different staff members, right? So being able to manage the numbers so we can properly care for everyone with the staff and volunteers that we have is important. And so continuing to move, go down the path of appointment-based system has been really beneficial, but then also making sure people have the resources they need. The, the one thing that we're really looking at right now is during New Year's celebrations, fireworks are really important um, to this community, which I, I discovered last year, being my first year over the holidays here. 
Um, fireworks are not, you know, they weren't as quite as big. People would always light a few off here and there um, in Colorado, but it's it's very important part of our culture here. And so we are doing some strong messaging because animals do get really scared with fireworks. And so they, they will typically get loose during this time. So we do see an influx of animals coming in just due to um, the fireworks situation over the New Year. So we're anticipating that and planning for that right now. We are utilizing um, an eviction toolkit guide that the Humane Society of the United States put together. And so the team is now reviewing that information to see what else we can do for people in our community to help keep their, their families together um, through the, the potential crisis of the eviction moratorium going away. Um, again, my hope is that that'll be extended um, or there'll be additional resources coming out from our federal government, um, our city, county, state officials. But um, since we haven't heard anything, we're preparing, right? <clears throat> For a lot of folks here who know that fireworks, just because you brought this up, mm -hmm. are such a part of New Year's celebration. And then, you know, six, eight months later, six, seven months later, we're doing it all again for Independence mm -hmm. Day. Um, yeah. you know, that do go loose. Um, are you suggesting that people make sure that their animals are so that they are available? I mean, that, that they can be bred in case they do get Absolutely. loose? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, actually warming up to that idea because there, there used to be a little bit of reticence to having an animal, you know, chipped and, and trying yeah. to insert it into your animal. And people were concerned about, you know, the, the big brotherness of all of that. But on right. the flip side, being able to make sure they could track your animal in case it became separated from you. Right. So microchipping is really critical to reuniting animals with their families. And, you know, I, I've been in animal welfare and animal sheltering for quite some time now, a couple of decades. And I've seen, you know, been witness to so many brilliant stories when an animal has been microchipped, they were missing for two, three, six years. And suddenly they showed up at this shelter, you know, 2,000 miles away and, you know, their family is thrilled and they're able to get them back home. So microchips do work to get animals back to their people. Um, and with, with tags, tags are helpful. And if they stay on your pet with their collar, that's brilliant because we can call you right away. Um, that's really helpful. But we all know tags and collars can get loose, especially when animals are terrified. They may go under a fence and that may pull the collar off. Um, there's a lot of different ways that, that animals lose their collars. And so that's why the permanent identification through a microchip is really critical because it allows us to scan that number. That's a unique identification number that then in the sort of cloud-based system, the computer-based system that the microchip company has gives us your phone number and your, your name. And we can get that animal back in touch with you, you know, in some cases immediately. Um, but, but if not, we know at least who the owner is and we can, you know, hold that animal and keep trying those phone numbers or the address or the email address that we have um, through that microchip number. So they, it is really beneficial. Are people really warming up to that idea and microchipping more these days? There are more happening. I think we, we had planned several microchipping clinics this year prior to COVID and with COVID we had to kind of adjust that. So we're looking at some unique ways of, of starting that back up through sort of a drive-through service. Um, <clears throat> a different appointment-based service than what we had originally planned. There are more people doing microchipping now, certainly than there were previously, but we still have a long way to go. I think there are still people that are that are hesitant, as you said earlier, 
to get that done. Um, it's not a GPS tracker. All it is is a, a microchip that holds a unique number on it and that's it. Um, so there's nothing else to it. It's pretty pretty low tech um, <laughs> compared to you know our cell phones that we have nowadays, right? So, um, but it is it is such a, a valuable thing for your pets to have. You spoke a little while ago that you have volunteers that are still coming and working with you. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps the few organizations that is still allowing volunteers to come on campus. Certainly, hospitals haven't been yeah. doing places where there might be concern for high transmission. Um, yeah. did you, you know, obviously you have a protocol. What do you ask of your volunteers so that you know that they have the best chance of remaining safe and healthy and they know that they have the best chance of remaining safe and healthy and also help you in ways that you become so dependent on volunteers mm -hmm. to do for so many right. years? Right, absolutely. So. Everybody has to wear a mask when they're on campus the whole time. Um, we ask people to wash their hands frequently. We require people to become be socially distant. A lot of our volunteer opportunities we did scale back on, so we don't have near the number that we did previously, but we do still have the crit critical roles like our dog walking volunteers who play such an integral role to the, the health and well-being of our dogs on campus. And so they're for the most part, their roles, they don't necessarily have to interact with people. So they go and take the dog out, take them for a nice walk and come back and put them in the kennel, um, wash their hands and move to the next animal. And so it, it, they can do some of these functions being very socially distant and being very safe for themselves and for other people. I do see some of our volunteers, in addition to the face mask, wearing a face shield. Um, and so any additional extra measure of protection um, that people want to implement for themselves is definitely welcomed. We also were recipient of the um, re the Alliance to Restart Hawaii. They had um, sort of a, a new biofilm technology that they came and applied to our campus um, in a, many of the high traffic areas just to help reduce disease transmission if any might occur. Our campus is pretty open air as well. So there's not a lot of really close knit areas where you don't have the open air component. And so I, I think just by nature of our campus setup, um, the different job, opportunities that we have for volunteers. And then the ones that were maybe a little bit more public facing, we've kind of scaled back on that. Uh, I feel very confident that people are feeling safe and comfortable. And then if they're not comfortable or they're high, very high risk, we are completely confident that, you know, once this is over there, they're welcome to come back. Everybody's been really good about communicating with us. And so we're we're really comfortable with sort of the processes that we have in place to keep people safe. It's not 100% just like with anything, but um, it's, it's pretty darn, pretty as good as we can make it right now. Are children still welcome in the volunteer program of parents who have been bringing their children, using it as a way of, of teaching them about animal husbandry, also giving them an outlet for something that was truly low tech and high love? Yeah, so we, we did stop that because again, trying to limit the number of groups on campus and there was more interaction um, with those groups of volunteers and with other volunteers. So we did put a pause on that. Um, another one of our volunteer programs was pet visitation at nursing homes and hospitals and things that, that had to be paused right away. Um, and we've not really started that back up. We've had a few volunteers do some visitation through windows outside of facilities, which has been lovely. So I don't know, I'm sure a couple of, of your viewers have seen some of those stories. You know, I've seen some horses doing that that are therapy horses. Um, and I've seen some dogs um, doing that as well. We, we had a dog go through um, and visit with people just through their windows um, in, in their, their rooms um, outside. So that was lovely. But 
for the most part, that program is completely shut down, which is really, really unfortunate because as we've been talking about, that human-animal bond is so, so valuable and so important. And people that are having social isolation, just seeing an animal, and it brings back fond memories of childhood. Oftentimes people in, in nursing homes or, or other areas, they, they talk when they see an animal and, uh, and otherwise they don't talk. Um, and so it's, it's really unfortunate that we can't have these programs right now. Cause I, and I'm sure, you know, as you were saying, it's, it's contributing to some decline in mental health um, for, for our seniors um, and for others that are struggling right now. I'm thinking about children in children's wards too. Yes. Who benefit and have from, from programs such as yours. Uh, everyone's counting down the days until we can start the vaccination program and those first responders, those who deal with patient care on the front yes. lines will be first and hoping that as that comes on, that we'll be able to see some of these other programs that are, are so simple, but are so simply mm -hmm. important for mental wellness and, and good mental health. And yeah. I, I hope it's back very quickly because I, I know how important that has been in a hospital setting. Yeah, I do too. I do too. And our volunteers are, they're, they're eager, but they understand <laughs> such a, such a good program. Yeah. Is there anything that you see the Hawaiian Humane Society wanting to contribute or to do in a way that you haven't been able to up until now that might have a ripe time for you to be able to to do that program or to be able to shift attention in certain ways because of what we've all experienced with COVID? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, we've, we've started working more with human service providers. And I think this, you know, this experience with the pandemic, you know, just seeing truly how interconnected we all are and the work that we are all doing impacts each other and our community in, in a little bit different ways, but it's still a connection. And so how can we leverage the relationships we're building with some of these organizations and work together to find even better outcomes in the future for people and their pets um, and better programs, you know, service programs for pet visitation or other things. How can we, again, bring, what kind of children's programs can we bring into the fold that might look different? We've talked a little bit about having, you know, once we can do this, having um, children's summer camps on campus where, you know, it's a week-long program, right, where they can come every day, learn about animal welfare, learn about different things, have some service projects, interact with animals that they may not ever interact with at home. Um, and so that some of these things, you know, we're talking about, but we, we know we can't do yet. And so getting things kind of put in place, um, continuing to have open dialogue with other organizations can help really set, I think, set us all up for really, some really exciting, I think, program development in the years to come. Well, I hope so. I hope you'll be able to do that. And when you do, yeah. I'm in. So okay. do let <laughs> It's so important to be in a situation where you have to care for something other than yeah. yourself, put down technology, have to look in the eyes of an animal and to understand yeah. that it's fully dependent upon you. It's, it's a skill mm -hmm. and uh, just you know, a place in the heart that we need to open for a lot more families yeah. and kids, particularly mm -hmm. kids you know, they're raised with so much technology. And I mean, I've- Oh my goodness. From high school or middle school on, but having mm -hmm. a great responsibility with, with horses and cats and dogs and a rabbit yeah. and all that <laughs> made me understand yeah. that their needs were more important in that moment than mine. And then having to readjust this would be good yeah. for to have a little bit more of that. Is there anything else that we should talk about in terms of what you are seeing 
or what you would like to see with the mental health component brought more fully into the Hawaiian Humane Society or brought out of the Hawaiian Humane Society and into our greater community? I think the the thing that has is the discussions that have been started and what I'd really like to see continue to move forward is recognizing the importance that someone's pet or an animal has in someone's life and being able to keep that animal with that person through whatever journey they're on at the time, right? Whether they're in a facility for mental health and because they need to be and that's the best thing for them, how can maybe their pet stay with them? Um, if somebody's experienced some you know, temporary houselessness, maybe they've, they've lost their home through eviction, the temporary housing situation that they need to go into, how can they keep their pet with them? And so looking for some creative, um, positive ways to keep animals and their pets together, or animals and their people together, I think is really critical. And that, that's the mental health support that they need. Those, in some cases, those animals are the only reason that the people are still with us. Um, and, and, we, and we've heard this, you know, the only reason I'm living is because of my dog, right? And so how do we make sure we keep that pet with that person because they are gonna do so much better long-term if we can do that. And so continuing that conversation and, and we're, we're happy to be a part of that conversation and see, you know, do we, you know, we're happy to offer free adoptions, you know, for, for some of these cases. If somebody thinks that a dog for this person that's going through this, this journey right now in their life is, is going to really benefit them. Let's see how we can help with that. Um, people with P that are suffering PTSD, the emotional support, the therapy animals, um, you know, we want to support that process however we can, and, and we're committed to doing that. So we are, are definitely open to continuing conversations and, and helping determine how we can keep um, pets and people together. That all sounds wonderful. I hope that will also include the military community here because with so much transient in, in that situation, we've had, I know personally where people haven't been able to keep their dogs or move with their animals or because yeah. of PTSD would so benefit from that. Are you engaging in any conversation with, you know, for example, Triple Medical Center or the military in general? We haven't yet, but we that's next on our list. We definitely, we know and appreciate the large military community that we have here. And we want to understand how we can support that community better. And yeah, and yeah, reaching out to Tripler in, in different ways. How can we really become sort of embedded with that community and, and help people um, through whatever process they're going through, whether it's PTSD um, after their service, um, whether it's helping them keep their animal while they're being deployed, you know, what does that look like? And there's a lot of good resources for some of those things, but um, other things are a little bit more challenging. So definitely would like to, to have further conversations there. Well, I hope you do. And I hope those conversations turn into actions and great programs Yes, that happen soon because so many people would benefit. Anna, thank Absolutely. you so much. For the time today, I really have enjoyed our conversation and look forward to hearing more about the Hawaiian Humane Society's activities to bring that component of, of mental health wellness to so many families through adoptions, through programs of, of just bringing an animal in and having visits mm -hmm. and to, to know that that's very much within now the thoughts of those of you at the Hawaiian Humane Society, yeah. especially you of just being part of the conversation, leading that conversation. Yeah. Thank you Thank so much for having me. All the best to you and everyone at Hawaii Humane Society. Thank you so much. It was really nice to be here today. Thank you. I appreciate the time.
My pleasure. And to all of you who joined us, thanks very much for being here for another conversation from anxiety to clarity. And of course, if you have any questions, send them to me via email. My email is Kozlov B, that's K-O-Z-L-O-V as in Victor, B as in boy, at SutterHealth.org. And we'll get you an answer to those questions. And if you have a suggestion for another conversation that you'd like to hear, let us know. Same, same email address, KozlovB at SutterHealth.org. Other than that, we will see you next time as we are all trying to make it from anxiety to clarity. Aloha.